Father, Son, and Spirit, speak to us through your word, we pray. Amen. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us to your likeness. This is part of what we sing together every week, we just did, uh, before we hear the scriptures read aloud. I love this part of the service, and I'm, it's not because the children leave. Um, it's just because things do quiet down in a way. The children are leaving, we've just blessed them, the band is kind of pared down. We actually sit down to sing, which is not our usual. And it's just kind of a moment to quiet ourselves before we hear the word. And we sing this simple little tune. I love this tune, and in fact, it sticks in my head throughout the week. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but often when I'm doing kind of the monotonous work of chopping vegetables or weeding my garden or whatever I'm doing, sometimes I'm humming awful pop songs, but often I'm surprised by how often I hum this little song that we sing before, before hearing the scriptures. In the song, we are asking our Lord to speak to us in and through the Bible. And we do that because this holy collection of stories, poems, prophecies, genealogies, letters, histories, this book, we believe to be God-breathed, as we just heard in our Second Timothy reading. With human authors, yes, um, through their personalities, their minds, their hands. But these are God-inspired, spirit-breathed words that were written down and have been preserved and translated for us, even now. These are words to treasure. And that little song helps us pause and recognize that. Now, a large chunk of these words, and by that I mean mostly the Old Testament, are harder to read than others. They are so ancient and so foreign to us gathered here that I think a lot of professing Christians can neglect the Old Testament, even avoid it. Maybe the Psalms, they're happy to dip into the Psalms when they need a little poem or a prayer, and I bless that, I love the Psalms. But when it comes to the stories of the Old Testament, we are tempted to feel like there's just too much war too much patriarchy, too many chapters about tapestries in the tabernacle, <laughs> and so we can avoid it. This morning we're looking at Ruth. We heard the first chapter read aloud, but I'm really going to speak to the whole narrative. And the book of Ruth is also full of foreign material. If you sit down to read it, even what you heard this morning, you might feel that it's different, it's ancient. There are, there are things called kinsmen redeemers, not really a phrase we use in our day. There are gleaning laws that might seem foreign, but that TJ thankfully spoke to a few months ago very well. There are rituals in this story involving the city gate and sandals and sacks of grain and corners of garments. So it can seem strange, this story. And yet, I am eager to tell you that the Book of Ruth is also full of very familiar, relatable stuff. 
It is, most of all, a story about a family, something we all know. It is a story about a bitter mother-in-law, which sounds kind of like a joke, because <laughs> we still talk about that today. It's a familiar reality. It's a story that speaks to infertility, to grief, and loss, and death. It's a story about town gossip, and friendship, and manual labor, and marriages. As I was going over this part of the sermon, I was reminded of the Princess Bride. It felt like I was going like, fencing, fighting, true love, revenge. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying to note how relatable it is. It's about religious conversion. It's about displaced peoples. It's about people searching for a home, searching for rest. So the Book of Ruth is foreign, yes, but also close to home. It's common stuff. Dave asked me specifically to preach from Ruth today, because for those of you who were at our parish retreat yesterday, you know we as a community, we're going to turn our attention for a time towards friendship. We want to, as a community, consider the friendship that Jesus offers to us and how astounding that is and also the friendships we enjoy among ourselves. We're gonna be doing that in sermons, so therefore in neighborhood groups, and I hope even there will be some creative happenings in our community while we focus on this theme. So if our theme is friendship, of course we must look to Ruth. George Herbert wrote, somewhat disparagingly, but love is lost, the way of friendship's gone, Though David had his Jonathan, Christ his John. Herbert forgot Ruth and Naomi. <laughs> I am convinced that, especially if we're looking to the scriptures to consider friendship, that the book of Ruth can be misunderstood and minimized into basically a little romance novel. Maybe something for the ladies in the Old Testament. <laughs> which is terrible, but I think people look at it like that, you know, in the midst of tribal wars and the sacrificial system and often male-dominated stories, people can turn to Ruth like that. But I believe that is, that does it an injustice, that kind of reading of this story. Then there could be yet another misguided approach to Ruth, one that I recently read, where the author said, he's talking about the whole story, and he said this, quote, chapter one begins with a bitter Naomi, and the book ends with a blessed Naomi. What made the difference? Three chapters of Boaz. All eyes should be on him. I stopped reading that book at that point. But I admit, I went back to it. There were still good things to glean, if you will, from the fields of that book. Um, and I can gladly agree that Boaz plays a wonderful part in this story, but the book is called <laughs> Thank you. It is not just a cutesy little romance tucked in the harshness of the Old Testament, and it is not, not that much about Ruth. So what I want to hold our attention on this morning is, again, not the relationship between Ruth and Boaz, as key as it is, and by the way, I'm going to be teaching a class on the book of Ruth. I want it to line up with Advent. It might not perfectly line up with that, but it will be four weeks of Ruth before church. If you are interested and you want to explore these three characters more, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, you're cordially invited to that Ruth class. 
But this morning, I want to focus on the friendship between Ruth and Naomi. I'm convinced that friendship is more at the heart of this compelling and redemptive story than romantic love or marriage. I believe I have good reasons to be convinced of this. I'm not just trying to offer something to my single friends. The story actually hinges on these two women and what they say and what they will actually do. And I believe their relationship is best described as friendship. The Hebrew name Ruth means friend. Very early in the story, we heard it in the reading, there are no ties to bind these two anymore. The marriages that bound them are dissolved because of all the men dying in the story. Naomi, in fact, repeatedly releases Ruth from any sense of obligation or loyalty or duty. They are not family anymore early on. They only become bound to each other once again because of Ruth, because she chooses to covenant herself to an aging woman she is not related to, and in fact makes lifelong vows to her, till death do us part kind of vows to her. There's even a tone of equality in these vows. I wonder if you heard it. You know, your people, my people, your God, my God, where you die, I die which doesn't sound as much like the language of mother and daughter as it does the language of friendship. I've been listening to Ruth Haley Barton's podcast based on her book with the same title, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And in one episode, she asks, is there someone in the Bible that you don't just think, oh, I'd like to be more like that person or I want to emulate this part of their character, I admire them, but is there someone in the scriptures through whom the Lord seems to have helped you understand your own story. Someone in the Bible whose story helps make sense of yours. And she even suggests that you ask the Lord for this, if that isn't readily known by you. Someone who helps to place you, as it were, in the big redemption story. To help us find ourselves, not in like a new age, woo-woo kind of way, but in, in reality, to really find and place yourself in the story. And as she was describing this, I knew immediately that for me, it was Ruth. I'm not suggesting I'm, I'm just like Ruth or that my story looks exactly like hers, um, but it is through her story that I have most come to know where I am in the big story. When my grandfather was very near death, in fact, I only have had one grandparent die. All three of my other grandparents are alive and well, which is amazing. But when my one granddaddy died, he was a strong Christian, one of the very last things he said was that he could not wait to meet John the Baptist. That was one of the last, last things we heard from him, which was lovely. And that's something of how I feel about Ruth. I'm not um, asking you to relate to Ruth in all of these ways, necessarily. But what I am hoping to do is to turn and hold our attention on this woman and this friendship. Because it is the unprecedented, loyal, sacrificial friendship between Ruth and Naomi that becomes, please hear this, that becomes the very current that makes for the wave of redemption 
in this four-chaptered book. Their friendship is the current. It's a friendship to learn from, to emulate. Through this friendship, God saw fit to turn almost every piece of the story that starts out broken, lost, dead, gone, empty. He turns it all back to the way it's supposed to be. And the conduit that God uses to bring it all back into right relationship is two women in friendship saying things like, I won't leave you. I will go get us food. I'm going to find a home for you. You're not alone. You're not emptied out. I brought you a gift. I laid down my life for you. I remembered you. I'm working hard for you. I'm going to provide for you. What's mine is yours. Friends acting like this, caring for each other, sheltering each other, giving to one another, looking out for the other's interests. This is what moves redemption along in the story of Ruth. Amen? This is what moves redemption along in the story of Ruth. But it's not an easy friendship. I would not advise looking to the book of Ruth as a guide for compatibility in your friendships. Yes, I think it's fair, it's not in the text, but I think it's fair that we can imagine that the extreme loss and griefs that they knew together could have knit them together. That's fair. But there are clues in the story that Naomi was not exactly someone you would be eager to befriend. That she wasn't too pleasant, especially at the beginning, when Ruth makes the vows. Naomi actually means pleasant. Her name means pleasant. And when she tries to change her name, you heard that in the reading, I think it's the author showing us how fundamentally unpleasant she had become. Naomi is reasonably in deep and awful grief, having lost her husband and all of her children. The text says two sons. So as a mother of two sons, I feel this poignantly. She is bitter, and she blames the Lord. And then there's Ruth in her own grief. Let's not forget that. Lost her husband of 10 years. No children. In this first chapter, she's a new convert. She hasn't just said, all right, I'm with you, Naomi. She has actually said, Yahweh is now my God. I am in Israel with you. But then Naomi, though it seems like an act of friendship, she takes Ruth back with her to Israel, to her hometown, but then proceeds to tell all of her old friends and relatives, I return with nothing. I am utterly empty-handed, she says, with Ruth standing right next to her. That doesn't exactly sound like my top choice of best friend for life. Do you have a Naomi in your life? Of course, it doesn't need to be a woman. It doesn't even have to be an older person. But is there a Naomi, maybe even two or three, that you call friend? 
someone who, at this point, may not be very pleasant. Might even be saying things like, God has ruined my life. He is clearly against me. Nothing sweet remains. Maybe your Naomi hasn't tried to change their name, but maybe tried to change something else about themselves. Maybe they don't go to church anymore. Maybe they don't call themselves a Christian anymore. Maybe they've cut themselves off from loved ones. Maybe you try to love them and they act like you're not even there. Do you have a Naomi? Little pastoral side note, you probably can't have like 10 Naomi's. <laughs> that will crush you. But you might have two or three. Befriending Naomi's is part of what God uses to move redemption along. Befriending Naomi's is part of how God heals people and communities, part of how God brings about justice, how he turns cursing to blessing, how he sanctifies and redeems. Do you have a friend who is a man? Do you have a roof in your life? This redemption story in the book of Ruth and ours too, our redemption stories, require both a Naomi and a Ruth. Do you have a Ruth? Someone who stays beside you in your darkest night. Someone who doesn't leave even when you're saying you should leave. There's probably some people better for you to find out there, I'm done, I have nothing to give you, and yet they stay. Someone who, when you are at your worst, when you say to them, the only suitable name for me is Bitter, with a capital B. But they just keep calling you Pleasant. Until you become more Pleasant. You need a roof. Do you have a roof? And to bring this to a close, I want to encourage you, if you're feeling like you don't have a roof, <laughs> you can't remember the last time you had a roof, if ever. Or maybe you feel like you are drowning in Naomi's. <laughs> maybe you feel like you are the worst Naomi ever. Please hear this with this very short narrative, which by the way, only takes about 20 minutes to read. I know TJ encouraged you to read it, I encourage you again to read the whole thing sometime this week. Please hear this, both women in this friendship change. The author I quoted earlier was right when he said, begins with a bitter Naomi, ends with a blessed Naomi. She goes through a transformation if you feel like Naomi, stuck in bitterness like Naomi, there is hope. Part of what gets redeemed in this story is Naomi's way of being, the way she relates to God, the way she relates to others. Ruth changes too. 
The narrator almost comically emphasizes throughout the beginning and kind of well into the story that Ruth is from Moab. <laughs> She's continually called Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the one from Moab. Ruth came from Moab, in case you didn't know, she's from Moab, <laughs> which was like the worst place to come from at this time, right? Moab was the nation who re refused to help Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness. Moab started in a cave with two daughters raping their father. You don't want to be from Moab. And the author keeps saying, she's from Moab, just in case you forgot. This woman is from Moab. Raised in a pagan nation, suffers traumatic loss, and then look who she becomes. A book of the Bible is named after her. She's actually held up in the story for the people of God to look at. She's held up as like, this is how the true Israel acts. She's the great-grandmother of King David. She's in the Messianic line. She's in the genealogy in Matthew 1. Her blood is in the veins of Jesus Christ. That's who she becomes. Ruth from Moab. She not only converts to the one true God in chapter 1, but by the end, people are using Abrahamic language to describe her. She is blessed to become like the matriarchs. She is called by Boaz a true daughter of Israel. She is held up as a woman of noble character. A phrase um, usually only applied to male leaders in the nation of Israel. So both of them change. There's hope. Who is the author of these changes? Who is the author of all of this redemption? None other than Yahweh, the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very one that we have gathered here to worship and to love. Speak, O Lord, as we've just received the food of your holy word, and we will soon come to the table to receive the food of his Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs>